0: Marketing success comes from identifying the right opportunities. And sponsoring the UpNext in Commerce podcast might just be the best opportunity you'll hear about today. With tens of thousands of listeners, expert creative, production, and strategic promotion teams at the helm, not to mention millions of impressions at the ready, this is a growth opportunity you should not ignore. Email me at stephanie@mission.org at to see how your business can benefit from partnering with the UpNext in Commerce team.
1: We saw a huge amount of sentiment from the grocers and retailers who are telling us that they do want to innovate, but their concern is that a lot of innovations requires a lot of infrastructure, operational maintenance, and overhaul. And that makes it very, very difficult. So interestingly, when we presented our idea to these store owners, most of them freaked out. Why are you trying to renovate my store? how much does this infrastructure cost? I will saying, you know, a couple hundred K. And they would say, look, dude, even if you give it to me for free, I wouldn't want it. And the store owners said, if you want to make anything work in this industry, you have to make sure that it is something that you bring it to our store and it just works. It shouldn't require infrastructure overhaul. It shouldn't require operational overhaul. So we really took that to note. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and we thought about how can we build a technology that just works.
0: Innovation is risky business, especially if you're a hardware startup. But it's not just risky on those that are inventing the product. The early adopters of that product are also putting a lot on the line. And this is why certain industries like retail have remained mostly the same for decades. Retailers only want to bring something new into the mix if the operational costs of installing it and using it are minimal, and if it doesn't require a massive overhaul of their retail space. And this is exactly what Lyndon Gal found out when he started exploring the world of retail. Linden has been on a mission to disrupt retail since he first applied to Y Combinator and got in with his smart security tag. And although that didn't take off, Linden kept going until he landed an idea that stuck. Today, Linden's the CEO of Caper, a company bringing smart cart technology into the world of retail. And 2021 might be the perfect year for this type of company to really take off. Last year, consumers got used to shopping more online Doing more transactions online, but now also have higher expectations because they're getting used to the personalization piece and the effectiveness of it and the efficiency, which is exactly what Caper's smart shopping cart technology is going to be tackling. In fact, Caper's tech could even be coming to a store near you because they just recently partnered with America's largest grocery store, Kroger, to bring smart carts into chains all over the nation. On this episode, Lyndon and I talk through how Caper is finally bringing change into the world of grocery and explains how smart cart technology could have ripple effects on e-commerce, personalization, and the entire customer journey. So grab your grocery list and take some notes because this one was a fun peek into the future. Enjoy. Up next in commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. Respond quickly to changing customer needs with flexible e-commerce, connected to marketing, sales, and service deliver intelligent commerce experiences your customers can trust across every channel. Together, we're ready for what's next in commerce. Learn more at salesforce.com slash commerce. Before we dive into the episode, I want to let you in on a little secret. Did you know that Mission has the number one e-commerce newsletter? It's amazing. It has really good news and insights and case studies that you will not find anywhere else. So go subscribe, mission.org slash up next in commerce. All right, onto the show. everyone and welcome back to Up Next in Commerce. This is your host, Stephanie Postles, co-founder and CEO at Mission.org. Today on the show, we're chatting with Lyndon Gao, the CEO at Caper. Lyndon, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks for having me, Stephanie.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited to have you on. So tell me a bit about Caper. I was doing a little bit of background digging and maybe actually it'd be great to start with your background first. I saw that you were involved with Y Combinator. So maybe starting out there and then we'll get to Caper.
1: Sure. I... I joined Y Combinator shortly after I left investment banking. Mm-hmm. Um, so prior to the y- YC, I was an investment banker and in Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan I have had quite a number of corporate life and didn't really feel like I belonged in finance as much as I belong in startups. Um, I started my first startup when I was 14, my second wow. one when I was 19. So I've always had a lot of passion for the startup industry. And when I realized that there was a big opportunity to potentially pursue in physical retail, I decided to quit my job to join, um, to start Caper. And uh, we were lucky enough that we got into YC in our first application.
0: Wow, that's lucky.
1: Yeah, and at the time, we were actually building a different product. We built a smart security tag. You know, those that beeps at the door if you try to steal in Zara? Uh We made it such that it will unlock upon payment. Okay. So just imagine on Black Friday, you could walk into a store, take out your phone, tap on the security tag, pay for it and the security tag will unlock and then smart. you can leave the store. But yeah. What so happened with that? I still the, need that. <laughs> I, I could get into that a little bit actually. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, So we we built a prototype for uh, the smart security tag and then on site during the YC interview, YC interviews are 10 minutes. So yeah. basically in, within 10 minutes, you have to knock out everything. Yeah. And there'll be firing questions at you. They'll be cutting you off during the, during the interview, but I thought I thought about something that was very interesting. You know, since we only had 10, 10 minutes, I wanted to convey industry urgency, our market. So I printed the, these t-shirts where it says, did you know that customers will leave the store if they have to wait in line for more than five minutes? Like 33% of customers will leave. So I printed on the t-shirt, and I walked in and all, all of a sudden the interviewers, at the time it was, I remember it was Jeff Ralston, who's the president of YC. Mm-hmm. Um, he looked at it and was like, oh interesting t-shirt. And we, we got, we started talking. And I remember at the time, our prototype was working 50% of the times.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> so, Oops. so when we did the demo, uh, the the prototype, we we're hoping that it will unlock. So we we're praying, 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 and it did. <laughs> so, yeah. So if it didn't unlock, I think, uh, I, I think I would probably go back to finance and be an investment banker by now, but luckily it did. So we got to YC, we built a security tag out. We signed on a couple of really, really large apparel customers. And we launched with Rebecca Minkoff and Soho. But we realized that the, the tech was really difficult to scale mm-hmm. um, because you need to apply the technology onto every single garment. That means that it was a, a gigantic operational overhaul.
2: Mm-hmm. You know,
1: Every week, the store staff needs to maintain it somehow to make sure that all oh, the new inventory that comes in are tagged and are synced with the specific unique identifier for each garment. Yep. And that just proved to be too much. And so we built it for about a year and a half um, before we realized that we're just being stubborn. It was too difficult to scale the market. And that's when we decided to pivot.
0: Mm -hmm. Very cool. So what happened next after that? Is that when you had you already been thinking about a smart checkout like grocery option or did you all have to kind of huddle and start brainstorming to be like, what's next? Where are we going to go now?
1: It was very difficult at the time because we were not a typical YC company in that we are a small portion of the hardware companies in YC. And hardware companies are not very popular.
2: Mm-hmm. So are expensive. We,
1: exactly. It's very capital intensive. Investors don't like to invest in it. Mm-hmm. So after we did our demo day, we didn't raise too much money. We raised like, 2 three hundred 30k in wow. total. Like typically typically yeah. YC companies, they come out, they they sign like a million dollar term sheet on, yeah. on the demo day. And I like there I was, you know, after demo day, you know, some of my buddies were signing term sheets left and right. I was just like, hey, like you guys want to chat. And they're like, oh, you guys build hardware, not really. Uh, <laughs> so so throughout the whole time it was very difficult. So we when we built it, build the security tag for about a year and a half. We were none of us were getting paid. At the time it was four co-founders and two early employees. We lived and worked out of a house in College Point in New York. It's right by the LaGuardia Airport. And yeah, all we did was just we woke up, we worked, and then we eat together and then we'll go to sleep.
0: I heard you got in trouble for buying orange juice by your co-founder. Uh,
1: where did
2: you hear about that?
0: Yes. I was just I doing a little creeping right. on the internet. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it was uh it was a very funny story. We uh my co-founders are extremely frugal because we really didn't have too much money. We're burning like $7,000 per month mm-hmm. and we buy groceries together. i walk into a grocery store. You know, it was a, it was a habit. I just, you know, I usually drink orange juice and, you know, I dropped it in. My co-founder was like, do you really need, do you need, really need to drink this? This is like six bucks. So I'm like, all right, maybe you're right. I don't.
0: Oh my gosh. <laughs> um.
1: So, so, so it was, it was, it was pretty tough, but it was also very interesting in that, um, the passion really bonded us together, and that's why our team is extremely cohesive even today. Like we barely have any attrition in the company, and you know our our team is like a family. yeah. so we built a security type for a year and a half. And at the time, when we decided to pivot, we had probably less less than probably a hundred k or something left in in the bank. So we really didn't have too much money and we couldn't do too much with that amount of capital, especially in hardware. So we kind of huddled together and we, we're thinking about what, what sorts of things should we pursue next? Or should we just kind of close up, just go home and start applying for, for other jobs? And we decided that it was the retail, the grocery, just general physical retail industry has been extremely under-innovated over the past you know, decades. Mm-hmm. You know, if you were to walk into a grocery store during, after World War II versus today, yeah. it will essentially be this. It's basically the same. And we just couldn't understand why retailers are not innovating. So me and my co-founder, Ahmed, took a slightly more drastic approach in that. We're, we're saying, hey, you know what? Before we decide on building anything, let's go out to the market and let's talk to grocery store owners. But before we went to the market, we were brainstorming. What are some of the things that we could do with our capabilities? So we, we thought maybe we if we retrofit the entire store with sensors and cameras, maybe we can enable a checkout-free experience in physical retail stores. So we we had this thesis in mind. And ironically, probably like six months later, Amazon Go kind of launched with the same idea. I was going to ask, what year was
0: this? And where was Amazon at? So you thought of it first.
1: Yeah. So we thought of it. (laughs) Amazon probably thought of it first because they built it. But we (laughs) thought about it as well. But we kind of took our idea out there. But we approached these stores and we just asked questions. So I remember it was like during the winter of 2016, it was very, very cold. Every day I would wake up and me and Ahmed would, you know, wake up at like seven, we'll get on a train station and we'll just take it to any stop. And then after we get off, we would just walk into any grocery store. that we see on Google map. And it's, it's a, it's a very different place. Like you go in a grocery store and be like, well, what the hell are you guys doing? If you're not buying anything, just get out. So <laughs> we went through a lot of that, but, There were grocery store owners and managers who were willing to talk. So we just asked them, hey, like, what are some of your top pain points? And what are some things that we can do to help you innovate your store? And interestingly, we saw a a huge amount of sentiment from the grocers and retailers who are telling us that they do want to innovate. But their concern is that a lot of innovations requires a lot of infrastructure, operational maintenance, and overhaul. And that makes it very, very difficult. So interestingly, when we presented our quote-unquote Amazon Go idea to these store owners, most of them freaked out. They're saying, hey, why are you trying to renovate my store? Like, and they were like, hey, you know, how much does this infrastructure cost? Mm-hmm. I was saying, you know, a couple hundred K. And they were saying, look, dude, even if you give it to me for free, I wouldn't want it.
0: Because the maintenance cost and everything?
1: Yeah. And they were like, look, it took me six months to install Wi-Fi and amplifiers in my store because I need to rewire my ceiling and install amplifiers in the gigantic store to make sure everything is in line. Do you think you could come into my store to renovate my entire store and install thousands of cameras? And do you actually think that could work? So we're like, okay, you're right. And the store owners said, if you want to make anything work in this industry, you have to make sure that it is a, something that you bring it to our store and it just works. Shouldn't it shouldn't require infrastructure overhaul. Or shouldn't it shouldn't require operational overhaul. So we really took that to note. So we kind of went back to the drawing board and we thought about how can we build a technology that just works? And we kind of stumbled upon this idea that if we impact, uh, compact computer vision and sensor fusion directly into a shopping cart, which is the most common tool in physical retail, we could enable the same type of experience at much lower maintenance. That really also tied back to our first idea of why we failed the smart security tag idea was would require a lot of operational maintenance. And we thought that the smart card could really overcome a lot of these barriers. So we built the technology. Um, actually, before we built it, we just did a 3D rendering of the card. We took it to the store owners. And immediately, within two months, we signed over probably 30 contracts. So that wow. was when we saw a With a card that didn't
0: really work? Like the card was just a picture.
1: Like- It was not even a card that didn't work. It was a picture, a picture rendering of what it looks like. And I just described what it would do. And the store owners were very, very interested to sign on. So that was, that was how we got started.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay, cool. So Mm -hmm. you've got 30 new contracts. I mean, did you, I'm guessing you had to go out and raise some more money though, because with only a couple hundred thousand in the bank, even with 30 contracts, I'm assuming you wouldn't have been paid at least like net. 90 probably or more. What did you guys have to do to get that first version of the cart made?
1: Yeah, so very interestingly and very luckily, my co-founder, um, my hardware co-founder's father actually owns a manufacturing facility in China.
0: Mm-hmm. Lucky, so we lucky. A very, very
1: uni- <laughs> Yeah, so we, were, we had a very unique hardware advantage in that we were able to prototype and, and build our first versions of the shopping carts directly at his factory. Mm -hmm. And that was also one thing that really, that I would say is our unique competitive advantage in that we're able to iterate on hardwares on a monthly basis. Typically, it takes six months to iterate on a typical hardware. It takes us a month. And that was the reason why we're able to accelerate our product development cycle so quickly. Mm
0: -hmm. What were some of the early features in the cart that you either got rid of, like, what does it look like now versus when you first created it?
1: (laughs) When we first created it, it was a lot of duct tape, uh, a lot of uh, weird components in there. I think I remember when we built our first version, we were trying to demo this to a very large European client and we shipped it over to France and the entire car broke. And I spent two days in the hotel just piecing things together before my client meetings. I also I actually used glue in there too. Um, oh gosh. and so, it wasn't I mean, computer
0: way, driven at that point, right? Like, or did you already have AI in it, or not yet?
1: So oh. not yet at the time, because our idea was that AI was going to take a little more time. So while we're building the R and D branch of our company, we were going to go to market first with the barcode scanning version. And that was a very explicit strategy that we had because we didn't want to be a heavily research-dependent or research-oriented company. We wanted to go to market to understand the market as we go. Mm -hmm. So we built this shopping cart with a scanner, with a screen, and also has a low cell, which measures the weight of what's inside the basket. And I remember uh, when we first launched a very, very small trial inside one of the stores in Long Island City called Food Cellar. We saw users try to use it. The scanner was very, it was a very small scanner that pointed at the side and no one knew how to put, you register the item into the, into the cart. Mm-hmm. So we did a lot of different changes to our scanner model, changes to the screen and and the low cell. And also low cell was very, very difficult because uh, it's a, not a common knowledge that the scales inside your gro- typical grocery stores are regulated by the government. It's regulated by the consumer affairs because if your apples are you know a dollar per pound and your scale is off and it's wrong, then you're cheating the consumer. So it's protected by the consumer affairs. And to be able to pass that certification requires us to you know send them our cart and they will put in a furnace, put in a freezer, put an automatic weight into our cart and out of our cart for 100,000 times. And we need to be reading accurate to 0.005 pounds. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of additional engineering and hardware infrastructure that kind of went in there just to get the cart, the first versions of the carts right.
0: Wow, that's intense. So early days, <sighs> it sounds like the cart was, it was kind of like having a checkout conveyor belt on the cart. Like you could scan it, you could weigh things and you could check out. And that was like the gist of it. What does it look like Pretty much. today?
1: So today we is completely computer vision powered. Uh, We could directly drop items into the cart, and we're launching these into retailer stores very, very soon. It's one of the paths where we took, where we thought about how do we make computer vision scalable? Mm -hmm. Because inside a typical grocery store, you have at least 50 to 100,000 unique uh, items. For each one of these items, we need images of what the item looks like from different angles. Mm -hmm. So in a way, when we started building the scan version of the cart, it really paved the way for the scanless version because as customers are using it, they're collecting images for us. You know, you scan a Coca-Cola and you put it inside the cart. Now we know this is a Coca-Cola. And then using our cameras, we're able to collect over 120 images for us to train. So now we have over hundreds of millions of images in our data bank. And now we're able to directly enable the scanless version of the cart.
0: That's smart. That's like Tesla, how, you know, it's always kind of learning as it goes, learning from other cars. You're learning from every time someone's putting something in the shop. That's genius. Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) That's great. And then I also read that it does um, some product recommendations. Tell me a bit about that.
1: Yeah. So you actually tapped into a really, really interesting space. Um, Product recommendation is a big part of our system because when we walk into a store and you shop for groceries, typically you will probably spend 30, 40 minutes in there. And you probably spent five minutes at the checkout, but 35 minutes in your journey as you browse through the store. And when we were launching the carts and working with re- with grocers, we re- realized that the bigger piece of the opportunity in innovating retail is actually not automating checkout. That's a, s- that's a piece of the experience that we can make very seamless, mm-hmm. but it's not the whole picture. The whole picture is how can we help customers shop through the store during that thirty-five minutes and provide them a very digitized and personalized experience? So the personalized recommendations as a part of that, which drives the digitization of the store, where if a customer, you know, puts in a milk, for example, we could give them recommendations for cookies, Oreos, you know, cereals, and so forth. And as we go on we're going to start implementing, for example, things like recipe recommendations. Hey, I noticed you have pasta and you have meatballs in your basket. Would you like to have some Parmesan cheese to go with it? Because we noticed that you might be building a recipe for meatball pasta. Or we noticed that you have gluten-free items inside your basket. Would you want us to recommend additional gluten-free items inside your, your basket? And that really creates another layer of digital platform on top of physical retail that really never existed before, right? You have e-commerce, which is a gigantic digital uh, platform, but then also now in the physical stores, you have a digital platform where you could browse through the stores and interact with items around you through CAPER. Mm -hmm. Uh, We could eventually, you know, help you trace the roots of where your products are are coming from. Uh, We could also help you count calories of what, what you've been purchasing. So there's a lot of different ways to to play in this market right now. And that's the most exciting part.
0: Yeah. It also seems like there's an opportunity to kind of see the location of the shopper and showcase coupons or things like that based off, you know, the aisle that they're at, because that's always something I think about mm-hmm. is, you know, getting a random coupon in the mail. You're like, well, I'm not going to that store. And now I forgot about <laughs> it versus if I'm there and I'm on that aisle and it's like, oh, you can have a dollar off an egg. Okay. I'll get those eggs in. Like, much easier of a exactly. transaction than trying to bring something in store.
1: Exactly. Exactly. And, we, and, and through that, so now we have like some basic recommendations plus nearby deals. And we've been able to see average basket size pick up in some of the... I can't talk about the larger stores because we're bound by a name, but the smaller stores we've seen more than 18% average basket size increase on a very consistent basis. If we're able to get the customers to buy a couple of more things, that actually drastically helps the retailer's top line as well.
0: Yeah. So tell me a little bit about like, what does the landscape in general look like for Autonomous Check? I mean, now we're talking about like location-based stuff, personalized stuff, like how do you view it interacting with e-commerce? Like what does the omnichannel experience look like, you know, over the next couple of years or what are you guys planning for?
1: Sure, so I, I could start by just talking about the Autonomous Checkout market and maybe you could probably dig a little more into the e-commerce part of it. Mm-hmm. So here's the general landscape. Basically, you have the Amazon Go formats, which are the startups or companies that are building cameras on the ceilings to directly enable uh, cashierless checkout. So this means that you will have to install hundreds of cameras on your ceiling uh, on top of building a processor and installing GPUs inside the store to make sure that we're able to process all all of these images and make sense of it. The cameras will be used for two purposes. Um, The first purpose is... Object tracking, which is you track how people are moving around the store, because you need to tie that item to that particular particular person, so you can't lose track. Um, the second part is the cameras are also being used for pinpointing where items are inside the store. So typically, what a lot of what we've we've seen companies where basically they use cameras to label where items are inside the store so they don't directly do recognition of that particular item but they label Mm -hmm. based on where it is inside the store Mm -hmm. and then there is the other form factor which is instead of using the cameras to label where items are in the store they use uh, smart sensors basically weight sensors inside the store where if you pick something up the weight sensor would detect it and they will know okay Coca-Cola weighs 100 grams. So you just picked it up, you picked up one bottle of Coca-Cola. And that's what Amazon does. Um, Amazon does a lot in Amazon Go. And then there's the other form factor, which is a lot more similar to basically what Caper does right now, and which is we compact everything into a device, like a shopping cart or a shopping basket, and customers will pick it up and directly use it. All the compute uh, is done locally inside within this boundary. And it's also very, very interesting I think probably three months ago, Amazon Dash Card came out, which is a, the smart card iteration of the Amazon Go store, which okay. I thought was very, very encouraging for the industry because Amazon is known for their, their innovation in the physical retail store through Amazon Go. And Amazon Go has been scaling. They have you know 20 stores or so. And all of a sudden, they came out with Amazon Dash Card. Because everyone thought Amazon Go was going to go into Whole Foods, was going to go into Amazon Fresh, Mm -hmm. but it didn't. And that was precisely the moment when we were happy to find that our thesis has been right all along because we went out there to talk to grocery store owners and they told us that it will be operationally intensive to maintain. So that's kind of the the landscape. And then beyond kind of the Amazon Go's and the Capers, you have additional self-scanning apps. Um, which Walmart had um, implemented before in their scan and go program. Um, that didn't really take off. So they canceled it uh, and kept it to a smaller membership for the SAMS Club, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's kind of the overall field. Really thinking about which type of form factor works. Again, kind of going back to our my earlier point, the most important factor is return on investment for retailers. If they're investing in the technology. What is the cost of the technology and what is the cost of maintenance for the technology? So in our security tag example, the cost of the technology is low. Each tag costs like eight cents. Mm -hmm. It's not worth too much. But the cost of maintaining the technology is big because I need to get the store staff to consistently apply it. One of the concerns on the maintenance of the technology for the Amazon Go form factor is that it requires the stores to consistently update where all the items are inside the store. So you definitely need someone else in the back end to monitor and make sure your inventory is hundred percent accurate. Otherwise you're going to start catching the wrong items. Um, With caper on the other hand, you know, with our thesis is that you could do whatever you want inside the store. It's not, none of our problem. All, all, All we care about is what you put inside the basket.
0: Yep. The one thing I'm thinking about too, is how do you continue the conversation with, you know, people who use caper shopping carts I mean to me I think of it as if you at least have an app you kind of can continue the conversation with that customer once they leave you can, when they come back in the store it's like oh hi welcome back like here is what you got last time mm-hmm. i'm even thinking about you know whole foods and amazon take mm-hmm. checkout like on amazon right now how do you guys mm-hmm. think about keeping track of consumers in a way that's helpful and personalized when they get back in the store
1: Yeah so that's an awesome awesome question and this is something that we've been thinking about a lot which is how do we tap into consumers, right? Um, and r- right now, one of our first ways to do this is to interact with them through the receipt that we sent them. Okay. We personalize the receipts, we can send them recommendations on, on the receipt. Mm-hmm. And when they come back, um, we give them unique identifiers that they can log in and we can recognize them. On top of that, we also integrate with our uh, retailers' loyalty program so that we're able to track and we're able to understand the shopper's purchase history. So that's kind of one part of it. The second part, which is more of a long-term vision is as we increase penetration in the market, we want to come out with a caper app where you could track, you know, shopping lists is one of the biggest pain points that we have heard from our shoppers. Mm -hmm. They want to be able to build shopping lists and come into a store and upload it inside in our car. And then we'll tell them where everything is inside the store. Mm -hmm. So that's one piece that we're going to build in. And two is we really want to build something that's a little more what we would call the caper lifestyle. (laughs) what the caper lifestyle is, is that your diets and what you eat are guided by AI. Mm -hmm. So if you have a particular fitness goal, when you go into a grocery store, we give you recommendations of recipes uh, of items that are going to help you get there. And that's a much, much more healthier and more informed and AI driven lifestyle um, that you could, uh, you could pick up. And, Yeah, that's a very exciting future vision, uh, but we're not quite there yet. I
0: mean, that's that's really cool. That just, I mean, it's like the trends right now you see around media blending with um, like content and tech. And like, that's kind of seems like where you guys are headed as starting here when it comes to the tech piece. And then, you know, start introducing the media and functionality, community building and encouraging, you know, healthy behaviors based off what someone wants to do. That's awesome.
1: Completely, completely. Because we interface with the customer's at the right place at the right time, right? Mm -hmm. As they're inside in their store as they're deciding what to buy. So we have a lot of opportunities to provide our recommendations to the customers and hopefully that, that can enrich their shopping experience.
0: Yep. I also like that you guys have the ability to track based on the receipts and it just kind of opens up a whole discussion around making things that maybe were normally not useful, like a receipt where it's like, well, I'm not gonna return any of these groceries, just throw it away putting something on there that makes you want to keep something. I mean, it's kind of like finding an arbitrage opportunity that maybe many are overlooking.
1: Yeah. One of our models is making the mundane into something magical. Mm -hmm. So that includes, you know, making the shopping cart into something that's magical so that when you put items in there, we just magically recognize it into something like what we just talked about on the receipt side. It's not traditionally not very interesting, but we want to start enriching every part of your shopping experience that way.
0: Yeah, that's cool. So you're talking about increasing market penetration and I saw that you guys signed a big deal with Kroger. So I want to hear, first off, congrats. That's amazing. I want to hear a little bit about that. Like how did you strike up that partnership and what does that look like on a national rollout plan now?
1: Yeah, so it's a very, very exciting deal because it is definitely a step towards the right direction in terms of, you know, accelerating the adoption of digitized stores. And Kroger's came to us initially. We had reached out to them, but a, I would say a good portion of our clients are most effective when they reach out to us. Yes. Uh, and that was that was a part of the early part of the process as to how we got to know Kroger, how we got started on a the project. They've been looking into this space and thinking about what could potentially make sense. And, you know, and we decided to start working together mm-hmm. uh, very fortunately. And throughout the process, there were there were definitely a lot of learnings learnings. But fortunately, Kroger wasn't our first client, so we had gotten a lot of the initial ramp up uh, out of the way, Um, and so we're able to deploy in their stores very very quickly. And I think one part one piece that was quite interesting was that when Dashcard came out from Amazon, it really accelerated uh, the Kroger's process because you know there there were you know Amazon making additional innovations inside physical stores. And now they're actually... Before, you know people were saying Amazon Go wasn't going to scale to a larger store. Mm-hmm. And Amazon proved people wrong by <laughs> developing the smart card. And that was a validation of what we have built. And that that accelerated the process as well.
0: What kind of lessons did you learn? Or would you tell someone else when you have that first partner versus moving to someone like a Kroger?
1: It's, uh, it's definitely night and day. Uh, we started... First, by working with uh, a local grocer, a smaller grocer called Food Seller, the store owner is extremely friendly, very open minded, wanted to try new technologies. So we launched with him first. But as we started working with him, we realized that grocery is an extremely complicated market.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: It's not like a typical convenience store where it's you know everything is just barcoded and stuff. Like inside grocery stores, you have promotional deals buy one, get one free, buy one, get one 50% off. The promotional part of the pricing logic was very difficult. And also integration into the store's system was also very difficult because we need to connect to their point of sale system to make sure that we know the latest pricing of what, what cost is what. And we also need to push back that information to their inventory systems to make sure that their overall records are well maintained. So that part also took a little bit of time. But I think most importantly is really just figuring out overall flow and process, you know, in grocery stores, you have, they sell produce, produce are weighted are are weighted. So how do we facilitate that to make sure that it's very easy for customers to understand that this is the the way that they add produce on top of that. There's also buffets, coffee beans, you know, beans, uh, different types of, they also have a bakery with coffee. Um, and it was have a pizza, a uh, little section um, in the store. So really understanding every single part of that was very, very essential. So we really learned, we did a lot of learnings at the local grocery store level. And we also ramped up to Kroger. And before we launched Kroger, we actually launched Sobeys, which was one of the largest supermarket chains in Canada. And by then we realized the complexity of a larger enterprise organization, how their system is structured how their processes work. And then all through all of the, that learnings, then we started working with Kroger. And with Kroger, we're still learning along, along the way. Physical retail, grocery is a complicated space, but
0: mm-hmm.
1: you know, we have really figured out a lot more things and now we're able to move off a lot more faster.
0: Yeah. That's very cool. It also seems like there's going to be a tipping point where you, know, you train like, the machines and ingest so much data that then you don't really have to do that anymore because there's only so many products. There's only so many bottles of ketchup there, you know, where it's like, okay, I know what that is now. And as you start rolling out into future stores, it seems like you'll get over a hurdle that then it's kind of like onto the next thing because you tackle that and they're good.
1: Yeah, completely. Because, you know, the initial ramp up is always the toughest, but once you kind of get through a certain critical point, um, then you realize that, okay, you know, we have all the images that we need. We have the integration system infrastructure we need. We have overcome a lot of the hardware issues, which I didn't mention, but hardware issues are also another another beast. Yeah. And so I think, you know, from our first store, which was probably launched about a little, probably over two years ago until now, we've just learned a ton along the way. So really a demo environment, coming out of a demo environment slash a pilot environment into actually a mass produ- uh, a production environment where customers are using on a consistent basis where thousands of transactions go through a system on a daily basis. It's a different scale. It's a different beast that we have to manage.
0: Yeah. And did did Y Combinator come back to you now that things are going pretty well? And did they ask to invest now?
1: Well, Y Combinator has always been uh, a co-investor along the way.
0: Oh, have they? I, in, I thought they didn't. Our, oh, oh, Y Combinator. So, I'm thinking about the investors at Demo Day.
1: Oh, the investors at Demo Day. <laughs> yes but we're we're a little too big for their for, for their tech size now yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so I, I definitely when we started building and started fundraising it was a different product and it was a different market dynamic mm-hmm. too you know back then it was like 2016 2017 there were cashierless checkout wasn't even a concept it was like yeah. you know back in 2008 when self-driving wasn't even a thing and you're trying to build self-driving people were like you're crazy yeah. You know, that, that cashier list, cashier list uh, you know, checkout free retail is kind of very similar to that. But I think a lot of the recent tailwinds in the industry, it's, it really started first with Amazon Go and then Amazon acquired Whole Foods. So it really kind of spurred up Amazon's intention to tap into the physical retail market. So it got a lot of people nervous. And then it kind of evolved into, you know, recently you have COVID, which, you know, accelerated the need for, a more automated checkout process because cashiers are very prone to COVID risk. Mm -hmm. You see more than 20% of cashiers were diagnosed uh, with covid as tested positive with COVID at some point um, Mm -hmm. in their lives. And and that, that makes it a very difficult decision for both the retailers and the shoppers and the cashiers because you have cashiers who are consistently exposed to thousands of people on a daily basis Shoppers want to make sure that they're safe, and retailers want to make sure that their shoppers are safe and their employees are safe as well.
0: Yeah. Do you see curbside pickup and you know um, like people shopping for you as a threat to the business model?
1: Yeah, this is very interesting. So this kind of this kind of comes back to draws a full circle on the e-commerce portion. Now, I do think that grocery and general retail is going to continue to be more e-commerce. Um, that's one part that I definitely recognize and definitely I'm aware. And e-commerce is very interesting in that during COVID, physical stores are actually doing substantially better because you we systematically shifted the demand from food, basically from restaurants, into cooking at home for yourself. So grocery, general retail, kind of enjoy a lot of that market expansion. And then on top of that, then e-commerce came in, chipped a little bit of the market away from them. But then when you actually think about the overall landscape of retail, Instacart is the largest e-commerce player. 100% of their transactions are fulfilled in physical stores. So it doesn't reduce the traffic inside stores.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: If anything, it really increased the need to be efficient inside the store and that's where capers come in as well we could help facil- facilitate delivery shoppers to make them more efficient by telling them where where all the items are inside the store and get cashier for, uh checkout free so that they can walk out of the store so you know curbside pickup also also the same you need someone inside the store to go walk around the shelves to, to pick up everything mm-hmm. so where i see the future of retail really converging is that you are going to see a lot more retailers. Not only are they going to optimize their stores for the shoppers, but they're also going to optimize the stores to make sure that it also becomes a local fulfillment center, Mm -hmm. because these are the distribution nodes that are closest to your house. You know, these, these stores are, you know, just a mile away from your house. So I don't see in-store activity going down at all. In fact, I see in-store activities. It's going to continue to pick up and, that also increases the need for technologies like us to make in-store experience more pleasant so that when people come back to the store, they enjoy and love that experience as they interact with food around them, but also make it extremely efficient and expedited. So I'm very bullish on uh, the the overall checkout-free industry.
0: Yep. I see there being opportunity as well expanding into the home depots of the world and all the stores where yep. it's like oh those aisles a little too much for me <laughs> i just need to know where to go to get what i want and then just walk out and not wait in a crazy lines so it seems like there's a lot of other industries that would probably be waiting for this you know after you got completely secured
1: there is we could we could expand to all for all, all retail formats so we're very excited to to explore that
0: yeah cool all right. Well, this has been such a fun interview. I probably could keep going, but I'm going to shift over to the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud. This is where I'm going to ask a question and you have a minute or less to answer. Are you ready, Lyndon? Sure. All right. What's one thing from 2020 that you hope sticks around in 2021?
2: Oof.
0: That's it can't be something easy. Really it can't be like, oh, I hope people continue to <laughs> shop more in person or and not go to restaurants. It can't be something that benefits your business.
1: <laughs> okay. I hope that my team momentum keeps up because 2020 ironically is one of the years where my team has really gone together despite COVID and really accelerated our development. So that's one thing that 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 was good. And it really proved that work from home. Actually, yeah, work from home is, is here yeah. to stay.
0: Yeah, I, <laughs> I agree. People will not want to go back five days a week anymore. What? Yeah. <laughs> What one thing will have the biggest impact on e-commerce in the next year?
1: Cost of delivery. If cost of delivery goes down, e-commerce would also take off. Mm
0: -hmm. Yep. If you had a podcast, what would it be about and who would your first guest be?
1: The Cockroach Way. Um, I I thought about that. I was going to write a book (laughs) about it, uh, which is how do you survive? How do you survive building a startup burning, I don't know, $2,000 a month? It was one of those things. Because we burned seven thousand dollars per month for two and a half years. Uh-huh. So, you know, not buying oranges and all that stuff, it was real. Like, and and definitely want to talk about that. So who I, who do I want to invite? An entrepreneur that's very, very frugal, uh, very, very cheap.
0: Your co founder? Uh,
1: don't <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes.
0: He can he'll, come be, on. he'll
1: be a great one. He's still very frugal today.
0: <laughs> Are and you allowed to drink orange like now? People.
1: <laughs> yeah at least a, well I mean I'm paying for it myself now it's not on the company so yep. so he, so he can stop me <laughs>
0: there you go what's up next on your Netflix queue
1: I watch a lot of stand-ups Kevin Hart
0: yeah uh... yep that's
1: a good yeah one. It's, uh, it's awesome it's uh, after a long work day you can sit down and just watch some Kevin Hart
0: yep I agree it's great and I feel like you have a good answer for this last question what one thing do you not understand that you wish you did
1: the Complications of scaling a team. When we scale from the seed round to the series A to beyond, my role has really evolved from an independent contributor that's on the ground to execution, to middle manager, which is managing the execution uh, level people, to managing middle managers, to managing managers of middle managers, Mm-hmm. And along this way, I really learned a lot about management and growing as a CEO. So that was something that I, I wish I had known a little earlier yeah. so that I'm able to run my team a lot more effectively.
0: Good one. All right, Lyndon. Well, thanks so much for joining the show. It was a pleasure to have you on. Where can people find out more about you and Caper?
1: You can find me on LinkedIn. And you can also find out about Caper on Caper's website, caper.ai.
0: Awesome. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hey, everyone. I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you did, you'll probably also love our e-commerce newsletter. To get it delivered straight to your inbox every week, sign up at mission.org slash upnextincommerce.
1: Up Next in Commerce is brought to you by Salesforce Commerce Cloud and created by the team at mission.org. Subscribe now at Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts.